You are listening to the mightiest little radio station in the North Bay. This is KOWS LP Occidental 107.3 FM. This is Rocket. I am your host, David G. And oh, baby, do I have a special treat for you today. Joining me live on the rock line in this little segment that I like to call Talk to Me with David G. is someone who has been putting smiles on faces all around the world for many decades. He is an entertainer extraordinaire, a musician extraordinaire. In fact, he plays more instruments than I can even list here today, so I'm not even going to try. But you know him from TV, you know him from music, the one and only formerly of the Monkees, Mr. Peter Tork. Peter, how you doing, bud? I'm very well, thank you. How are you doing? Oh, are you kidding? I'm kicking ass. Uh, this is awesome. I have <laughs> been uh, hoping to talk to you for quite some time, and I am thrilled to have you here on my show today. And, uh, well, first and foremost, i uh, got to let my audience know something. I have told them that you were going through a bout of cancer, but uh, yep. uh, how's the outlook right now, my friend? As of right now, I am officially declared uh, in great shape. Fantastic. Uh, this, uh, they, uh, basically, I've been all right uh, all along. I, I, um, it's, but the treatment, you know, <laughs> I'm not sure I've recovered from the treatment yet. Um, there, was, uh, there was surgery, and uh, it, uh, they're pretty sure they got as much of it as possible for the knife to get out. Uh, and then it was uh, radiation after that to try to pick up whatever little tendrils were, were left. And now it's just a matter of getting checkups every so often. So uh, I'm, uh, I'm officially in good shape. Uh, I feel good. Uh, I, my energy seems to be back pretty much. Uh, um, I, like I said, there's still a few things left over from, you know, the, the cures. Uh, <laughs> I yeah. need to recover from the cure. Uh, but aside from all that, I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Oh, please. Uh, well, I had to ask for a, actually a specific reason. Your former publicist, Thera Gwynn, bless her heart, what a sweet lady. She yeah, is, she's great. Oh, she's awesome. And uh, she's the one who initially shot me the news. And so instead of having a uh, pity party, we had a Peter party up at my house. And uh, <laughs> I wish I'd been there. Oh, uh, you should have been there. I mean, I was hoping I didn't piss off my neighbors because I played uh, your CD Cambria Hotel very loudly that night. Oh yeah, I'm oh. sure they were pleased as hell with that. Well, um, the music was too good; they couldn't gripe. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's good. Good for them. Good for you. Good for them. Uh, it's interesting, you know, the the, the Cambria in the title is. Uh, is near San Luis Obispo, so it's not, what is it, four hours, five hours away from you, five and a half hours away from you, more or less. It's uh-huh. relatively close to uh, to where you are. So uh, it's, you know, and I have a, a long-standing California connection. I got, uh, I have relatives in uh, in Sonoma, so um, so this is, I'm, I feel like, you know, fairly close to home. So the 707 uh, telephone exchange, I said, I know some people who live in the 707. Homeboy. Pretty well, not exactly, but but close enough, you know. Yeah, and I lived I'm in Marin for fisher. several years. I lived in Marin for a total of about four and a half, five years, I think, well, overall, and some in San Francisco per se. Uh, I've never lived in uh, uh, south of San Francisco, but uh, at least not in the North Bay area. But uh, um, well, you wouldn't want to. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. This. I don't know. Uh, uh, Santa Cruz is great. I've, I've been down through there. That's a wonderful part of the world. 
there's that section in Santa Cruz that, where the bay has been blocked in. You can ride away for like six minutes or something. It's nice, gentle ways a person could learn to surf there. Yeah. The, oh, so you're a surfer. I am not. But okay. I was saying, you know, the wave is a, a modest wave. It stays exactly the same height for like, you know, uh, a good long, uh, I mean, really, well, it's like really a, a minute solid. Uh, if a person wanting to learn how to surf would do a whole lot worse than go there with their little surfboards and trying. It made me think maybe I did want to learn, but I didn't have the uh, time and attention span and stuff. I don't know. Well, that's something you and I share in common. I tried surfing once, and it, it didn't work for me. But uh, I'm up here in the north coast where the waves can get rough, and there are great white sharks out there, and yeah, just right. kind of turned me off to the whole idea. In fact, the closest I ever got to Santa Cruz was when I was stationed in the Navy in San Diego. Wow. Back, no, back no, you're much Navy. closer to Santa Cruz where you are now. Yeah, probably. But uh, I had to. I had to tell you one thing though before I get off that topic. When I was in the Navy, you got me through a hole with your music. Got me through a lot of lonely nights out at sea. One time, oh, I went to the ship store and found this cassette called "Pull It" from wow. the Monkees. Uh-huh. Yep. And I was already a, a Monkees fan, and I bought that, and man, I turned on a lot of guys on that ship to the Monkees through that album. Wow. Okay. That was great. Yeah, we had a lot of fun making that album. That was uh, a, a, a much more recent album. We're very pleased with that, too, particularly all of us, uh, at least three of us. Uh, Michael Michael didn't have much to do with that album, but uh, yeah. the other three of us were very pleased because it charted uh, relatively well, not fabulously, but uh, but the fact that it charted at all was practically a uh, um, uh, unique. And we did have a... Um, uh, a charted single, I believe it was. Uh, then it was then and now from on that CD. I don't, on that album, yeah, I don't that was sure. then. This is now. Yeah, that was uh, that was a charting CD for us. We actually got the top twenty back in the top twenty, and I don't think there's ever been an act other than ourselves, and maybe that Beach Boys cut with uh, Kokomo, uh, that where the band a band has uh, had uh, like I think a twenty year hiatus between charting records. And come back and charted. So yeah, that was uh, that was really cool. We were really pleased with ourselves about that. It's a great little feather in our caps, as it were. Oh, and yeah. plus it's a it's a great little uh, great little single, kind of a, a late sixties a sixties style single, but done in the in the more modern style at the time. So that well, was a lot of fun. Did a, you guys did an awesome version of Paul Revere and the Raiders tune "Kicks." I mean. Well, I'm not. I wasn't a fan of that song. I think that. that I, <laughs> oh, but, really? uh, well, I, I, you know, I think I have a thing about. Uh, I, I am, you know, the the, the message, the the anti drug message, yeah. um, is uh, uh, really a, an admonishment. And I can, you know, like listen. It's not going to work. Don't you understand what's the matter with your thinking on this problem? Yeah. And that approach has, as far as I know, never worked. On, uh, on a drug addict. Uh, well, drug addicts, simply, you know, they simply retreat. You start talking to them like that, and they run away from you. Yeah. You cannot help. And so that kind of an approach is not for the, to, to help an alcoholic or a, or a drug addict. It's to relieve the conscience of the people doing the talking. Yeah. And I always thought that was a poor approach. So that song, mm. that gave me a, uh, 
uh, I had a reservation about that because uh, I don't know if you know this. It's uh, fairly common knowledge. I'm a recovering alcoholic myself, hmm. and uh, and I know that when people talk to me about this stuff and they just kept telling me what was wrong with where I was doing and that I just simply couldn't hear them. I mean, you know, drugs and alcohol affect your brain in ways that make it impossible for you to even grasp the notion of what, you know, when somebody's coming at you, this reactivity, uh, um, contrarian part of the brain is just given free reign and the yeah. part of your brain that's able to check out what's really best for you is shut down by the chemicals so you can't think it you can't hear a good message no matter how uh how good the the, the intentions are you re- it takes a whole other approach to to reach a uh, an alcoholic and slash drug addict and that song didn't do it for me and so but they they pretty much made it a condition of the uh, of making the album, and and I didn't uh, I didn't have the 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 backing to uh, to substitute a song which I think was better. Anyway, never mind that. Um, well, I'm I gotta tell you that. what tunes I did think were better, and that was the two cuts you did, getting in and since you went away. Those yep. were Thank you. awesome. I mean, Thank you. In, in fact, I got to tell you, man, the song Since You Went Away, that was speaking of antithesis. Yeah, you know, really. <laughs> the monkeys and, and all the bands of that era were all, you know, peace, love, I'll love you forever. And you were celebrating, hey, she's out of here. She's gone. Yep. The That's plants right. have grown. The dog came home. The bills are all getting yep. paid. Oh, yeah. It was, a, it was a bad relationship. I'm happy I'm out of, you know, yeah. I, I can't. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, I, I love that. My friend uh, Michael Levine uh, and his uh, then wife Claire Nelson uh, uh, wrote that song. And uh, Michael Levine, incidentally, is the guy who writes the music for uh, Cold Case, the TV series. Really? And, yeah, that's him. And uh, and he wrote that, and he wrote the... Uh, uh, I had a, a solo album of my own called Stranger Things Have Happened. He wrote that oh, lead yeah. song. He wrote the lead song on Shoe Suede Blues, uh, first studio CD, which was uh, Saved by the Blues. And uh, so he's been a, a very large figure musically in my life, and uh, I'm happy to give him some credit. Yeah, it's a great song. Oh, I absolutely. A, a very, if you don't hear that, added that, that, that lyric in, in uh, pop music much, you know, you know I'm, I'm like, like the total joy of being out of a bad relationship. Almost all of the songs are about how sad it is that I'm not with the one anymore or how happy I am that I am with the one, but never, you know, I'm so glad that I got rid of the one that wasn't the one. That's, that's a, rare, uh, a rare attitude, and I like, I like things that are not quite so common, and that was definitely not common. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying, man. That song didn't just grab my attention; it grabbed me by the gut. It was so the antithesis of what you're I thought you were hearing. <laughs> I thought you were going to say it grabbed you by something you can't say on the air. But well, that's... <laughs> on my show, I can pretty much say whatever I want, but we won't go there. <laughs> but... okay. All righty. Well, okay, good. Yeah, um... yeah. The FCC doesn't listen to me much. If they do, what are they going to do, fire me? Uh, Anyway, Peter, um, actually, well, I wanted to do a little bit of time travel before we head into the modern era here. I mean, I have to ask a couple of uh, obligatory monkeys questions, or my audience will come at me with lighted torches and pitchforks. I was going to say pitchforks, uh, lighted torches, and and the forked tails, too. Don't forget the forked tails and the cloven boots. (laughs) Oh, yeah, we got it all at my place, baby, I'm telling you. Okay, uh, ask away. Uh, well, first and foremost, uh, let's start it off with it really simple. You were a musician before the monkeys happened. 
How did you become a monkey? Well, the story's been told a few times. Um, I became friends with this kid that looked like me on the Greenwich Village streets in New York City, uh, a, a, a young chap named Steve Stills. And, <laughs> uh, uh, and Steve and I went to the West Coast uh, separately at about the same time. Steve ran uh, into uh, one of the producers of the TV show, of, the, of what was to become the Monkees, and... Uh, was uh, and and, be, and went into discussions about the part, uh, and uh, but he was deemed uh, non-telegenic. They said that they didn't think his hair and teeth would work on uh, video. So um, uh, so he and and did he know anybody who looked like him who had one tenth his talent? And he thought hard <laughs> and then he stretched. He stretched a point and said, "Well, my friend Peter." But uh, well, actually, I have to uh, uh, honestly enough. Um, uh, in all honesty, Stephen uh, assessed correctly that I was a, a, a clown and a personality, and um, he. Um, I, I think he knew that I would work out on that kind of thing. I did say to him, "What about you?" And he said, "Well, he did, they didn't think that the hair and teeth thing was going to work out," uh, but. Um, uh, so he get you know, and poor Stephen had to uh, had to console himself with uh, Buffalo Springfield and CSNY, and he's oh, never bummer. forgiven me. I, I, I pay the man to this day. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, uh, you know, after you had become a monkey, I mean, a lot of doors opened. And uh, is it true you actually did jam with Jimi Hendrix? It is true. It is. What true. was that like? Well, it was you know, Jimmy. Jimmy was an astounding musician. Um, that's one of the things, you know. The Monkees were a bunch of things. Uh, we were part musician, part uh, uh, pop icons for the sake of being a pop icon, uh, partly uh, cutie pie, uh, 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 you know, teeny bob lollipops, and, uh, uh, and part comedian and part a bunch of things. Uh, no one ever accused us of being world-class musicians, either separately or together, but Jimmy was. Jimmy was a, a, a very special and unique musician. And to just to sit there and play uh, some tunes with him while he's playing caused me to play better than I'd ever played before. He gives you, if you're sitting there playing, if you were to ever have had the pleasure and privilege to sit there and play with him, his um, solidity as a musician gives you a foundation to stretch out for yourself uh, to a, to unheard of, but to a fresh extent, yeah. you know, musicians want uh, a, 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 a grounding. They want something to sit on, and the better the person they're playing with is, the more they can relax and do what they have to do, and not spend so much time worrying about is the time right? Am I playing the right feeling? You know, you you, you it, it's a it's a function of comfort and solidity. And Jimmy had all those. So it was great. Yeah. So the the short answer is fabulous to play with him. Wow. Because um, the late, great John Lennon of the Beatles once said, I love the monkeys. They remind me of the Marx Brothers. And not uh, bad, dear Paul. I, I, David, I, I, <laughs> I've been working on that. Not so bad, Paul. You've done, you've done that a lot. But hey, I think John, I've got a hole in me pocket. <laughs> well, uh, um, Peter... 
Before we uh, get off the monkey trail here, there is one last monkey thing I wanted to ask you that's that's been kind of weighing on me for a while. You have a singular distinction that a lot of musicians have never had and will never know, and that is to have the word mania attached to you. There was beetle mania, and there really was a monkey mania. And I was... Yeah, there was. I was wondering, I mean, you know, because people didn't just figuratively, they literally wanted a piece of you, whether it was your hair, your clothes, a chunk out of your behind, you know, didn't matter. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I was wondering, you know, being in the eye of that particular hurricane, was was that like terrifying or thrilling or a little bit of both? What was it like for you to be caught up in the mania? I, uh, it's a good question. Uh, there was a lot to it one way and another. Um, it was scary. Uh, here's the thing. Uh, when a kid uh, uh, sees you at a distance, they race towards you thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to get a piece of him. When they get, <laughs> thinking whatever. I mean, they're not thinking. They're just, you know, they want to hug. They want to connect. Uh, and, but here's the thing. Uh, two or three kids come up to you, and they come up to you within a certain range, a couple of yards, and suddenly they stop, and they look at you, and things change. You know, you look at them, and they can't get over the pop star thing, but there's also a person there, and which there wasn't at 30 yards or 100 yards. You know, that's, that's different. They, oh, my God, that's, you know, it doesn't matter what they do at 30 or 60 yards away or if they're in the back of the auditorium screaming at you. They don't have, they, they're free to scream without worry of the consequences. When they're within two yards of your face, they're not going to be able to scream at you because they know that there's a person right there with ears that get punctured by the loud volume. Well, if it's two or three kids, they stop short and suddenly there's a human and they have to start dealing on another level. When it's 200 kids, the kids in front may be stopping, but the kids in the back are not. And that's when it gets troublesome. That's when it gets scary. That's where security Um, comes in. (laughs) That's where you hope you've got enough security to see Yeah. Yeah. So that was that was the strange and dangerous part. Uh, meeting some of these, uh, you know, fans face to face, they get nervous, but they're still talking to you, and they're still talking English to a person who speaks English, or in my case, French. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, but they don't, you know, they don't just stand there and go <laughs> and your face. They won't do that. Oh. So things change when they get closer. That's the thing about it. And yeah, that mania thing was, uh, that had its, uh, that had its drawbacks. Um, because by and large, uh, most of the kids that you run, ran across, I ran, uh, that I ran across in those days, those early, those, uh, uh, early uh, high peak fame days, uh, most of those kids were screaming at 30 and 50 yards. So, uh, so it was, it was a little disturbing and I never knew what it was all about. I finally figured it out, I think, at least to my own satisfaction. It's like, uh, you know, a kid, a little girl comes home and the screen door slams and her mother says, why can't you be quiet? And why aren't you expressing yourself better? And, you know, all kinds of contradictory messages. Your, your homework is not, your, your homework is dull and, and, and you make too much noise coming in. It's like, and that's contradictory. Messy and, yeah. yeah. All the, yeah. So. Um, well, I'm glad you survived it, my friend. I mean, because <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of people that have been thrust into that kind of thing have never come out the same. And uh, 
I'm glad to see that you actually came out a normal human being. Uh, that's well, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I had some advantages. Two, two, two major advantages that well, three major advantages that I can think of. One is that um, my family. Uh, I grew up in a family that was skeptical of all of that, so I went into it skeptical. Uh, secondly, uh, I knew that I was a front man for a project that that was. I wasn't the. Uh, I wasn't the idol. I was the. That was the front man, and so I knew that they were screaming for uh, for reasons other than exactly who I was. And thirdly, there was a group, so I got to spread it out amongst us. You know, it wasn't as if it was only me. Um, think about uh, about poor Elvis, and uh, think about. Uh, uh, well, he was in a group, but it was because of his solo, and I'm talking about Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a man who uh, uh, who suffered from uh, the incredible loneliness of being the only one in his circle who knew what it was like to be him. Uh, in my circle and the Beatles circle, they knew they had other guys who knew what it was like. So they had. Uh, so you see, McCartney is is still. And and uh, Ringo Starr—they're both still doing what they do. Um, they're not—they uh, weren't. Ringo, in particular, is very down to earth and was not at all caught up in his own—you uh, know—the the legend of his own mind. Yeah. Um, and uh, working class guys. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just a hard working guy. And uh, and McCartney is now just—you know—he's he's an entertainer, and that's what he does. He gets to play in front of all those people. He gets to play as much or as little as he wants. And he likes to play. Rich working class guy. <laughs> yeah, well, be that as it may, I'm, I'm, you know, hey, that, yeah. that's who cares about that? Yeah, you know, the sure. point is that the man gets to play in front of people, and he doesn't quit. He he's still playing because he likes to play. Yeah. And uh, and that's a that's a wonderful thing. I'm just you know there's no there's no end to the to the. Um, uh, how, how how glad I am uh, for him and for those who love his work that he is doing that because uh, oh, yeah. you know it's awfully easy. It'd be awfully easy. If, you know, well, I don't really like to perform. You know, I just did it. I just did it for the money. Yeah. And you know, but but he didn't. You know, if he were playing in front of two or three hundred instead of twenty or thirty thousand, he'd still be playing today. Yeah. Yeah. If he had the health and the wherewithal to do it. As I am, you know, I, I, I didn't get into this to make, to become rich and famous. Uh, I, I got into it, well, I wouldn't have minded uh, being richer today than I am. But, 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 the, um, but the point is that, I, you know, I get off on the music. I get off when the music is right. That's when, that's when my life comes together. And so why wouldn't I want to keep on playing until they won't let me any longer? That's the, that's the name of the game over here. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Um, you know, I've ha- had this, I've interviewed, uh, well, I've been very blessed and privileged to interview several really incredible classic rock stars thus far on my show. Um, one of the interviews I did a few weeks ago was with an old buddy of yours, Mr. Tommy James of Tommy James and the Shondells. Oh, yeah, good old Tom. Tommy's, uh, is, I-, I actually haven't seen or heard from him in a, in a number of years. I trust and hope that he's still performing. Oh, he is. In fact, uh, once we're off the air, he has asked me to give you his phone number. He would like oh, to hear from you again. Fabulous. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, when we're off the air, I'll, I'll share that with you. Okay. Um, but, yeah, Tommy, an incredible guy, just like you. I mean, this I have been really blessed to do some great interviews. But, uh, anyway, I want to thank you for answering all the monkey questions. I would... Uh, 
like to step up back here into the present day. I hear you have, uh, you're on your way to a big gig in Stamford, Connecticut. I am. Uh, I'm going to be doing a. Uh, uh, I have a couple of. There's a couple of these things in a row. Um, just uh, now um, doing a, uh, a convention called the Super Mega Fest. Uh, Mickey will be joining me. It's really more more a professional meet and greet than anything. And I'm going to. And in Stamford, I'm uh, Connecticut. I'm going to a thing called Beat Expo, which is a Beatles convention. Um, and I'll be. Uh, you know. And the fact of having. Having actually met the Beatles and, and touched hands with them makes me special. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> makes me a special guy in, in the in the in the Beatle world nowadays. Um, so um, yeah, I'll be down there um, without Mickey this time. I, I have to. I got rid of the old. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Mickey's uh, Mickey's a favorite of mine, and um, <laughs> uh, I, I'm sorry that I won't be seeing him down there. Um, um, and yeah, I'll be doing uh, some signing, uh, mostly a lot of uh, signing and handshaking and posing for photos. And I'll be doing a couple of shows, a couple of uh, about an hour of uh, performance while I'm down there. Wonderful. Hey, Peter, I am uh, joined with a very special co-host here today on my show, Rocket. Uh, he does an incredible show on our station called Tommy's Holiday Camp every Friday night. We know him as Mr. Arnaldo, and he would like to ask you a question. Is that all right? Hit it. All right. Mr. Arnaldo. Yes, hi, Peter. How are you doing? <laughs> very well, thank you. How's by you? Fantastic, thank you. And uh, um, you know, I came, f grew up in England in the sixties. Uh, and no, uh, no, 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 no. I can tell you're Spanish by your accent. <laughs> oh, may may we? Oh no, that's the wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, may we, Monsieur? <laughs> no, no, no. Speaking Spanish. What's going on, Mr. Ronaldo? Well, um, you know, you were just talking about the Beatles and, and stuff, and I was wondering. Um, you met them, and uh, did you come to England uh, to perform? Yes, the, the Monkees were doing a tour of England in, uh, I think it was 67, and um, uh, our, uh, our crew got together with their crew, and, and they made an arrangement whereby we uh, got to, uh, we were sitting in uh, the, uh, a place called the Speakeasy, a, a, a club in London, and uh, yep. in walked uh, George and uh, uh, John doing... Um, doing a variation on the Hare Krishna chant. They were singing Mickey Dolan's, Mickey Dolan's, 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 Mickey, Mickey. And uh, Paul came in, too, with uh, Jane Asher on his arm, whom he was dating at the time. And uh, it was lovely. We had a great time. We were there for a couple of hours. Uh, and uh, the next day, uh, uh, George uh, invited me and our uh, my friend Bill Chadwick, who was on our crew, to uh, join him for the afternoon, and we uh, drove off to see uh, Ringo. So um, uh, that, which is the first I'd met Ringo, um, and um, it was great. Uh, Ringo is uh, Ringo is just an, an amazing human being, and I'm just uh, delighted to be able to say that there's a real mensch, to use a, <laughs> a nice French word, a Liverpool mensch. <laughs> Liverpool, Liverpool, Liverpool. Wow, yeah. a mensch. Indeed. Well, goes. Whack. Oh, whack a gear. It's gear and fab, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. And we're, you know, I actually have to tell you that the, the calling the monkeys the prefab four, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, is one of the great jokes in pop history. Well, the uh, the Ruttles took it from you, didn't they? <laughs> uh, did they? I don't even know. Oh, yeah. In the, in the Ruttles, they're called the prefab four, yeah. Are they? 
Well, like we earned it before they did. I don't even know. Prefab Four is pretty good. <laughs> well, it's funny. Uh, we both do share. I, I did shake hands with the Beatles. Uh, three of them. Um, it was at the Ad Lib Club, not the Speakeasy. But um, uh, so yeah, it was a wonderful experience. So everyone except George. Yeah, George. Uh, George was in many ways the one that I felt closest to, in terms of. Um, Oh, uh, well, you know, in some ways, George was the odd man out. Uh, Ringo and George were both, in some ways, uh, off the offbeat men, and I was the offbeat guy in the monkeys. Right. Uh, and in some ways, I identify with George, a younger man, um, uh, very funny and, and uh, um, very, very smart and very musical. And he didn't even actually come into his own as a musician until after the Beatles. Um, I have to say that he probably shined most as a musician on the uh, Traveling Wilburys, which was, I thought, a wonderful operation. I'd love to be part of something like yeah. that myself. Oh, what a, what a, that is the ultimate super band. <laughs> Isn't it? You know, imagine Dylan and Teddy and, gosh, that was a great band that was. And, and, Jeff Lee, and a lovely Roy concept. And, yeah, and Roy Orbison particularly. What a lovely band. Wow, yeah. Well, it's funny, you know, how did you... Uh, you know, in, in the monkeys, how did you all develop your personas? Was it just they took them as you are, or did they say, "Oh no, we want you to be like this"? Uh, how did that work? I brought uh, I brought my own persona in that that character, that uh, uh, rather simple guy. Uh, I um, I had um, uh, I had developed that character on the Greenwich Village stages. Um, and um, mostly as sort of a defense against bad jokes or jokes <laughs> falling flat. And, um, and they asked me if I didn't mind bringing that persona into the show. And I was delighted, you know, it's fine, because I can hide behind that character all day long. Uh, the other guys were pretty much drawn from their own lives without much alteration. Uh, I mean, they were, they were, uh, they, they, <laughs> they emphasized the more appealing sides and, you know, um, <laughs> de- uh, 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 de-emphasized the, the less savory parts. But, um, <laughs> but basically it was who we are, except for me and my character. Oh, interesting. Interesting. You took it further then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, now what I interviewed, um, uh, Brian Augur, uh, a month or two back. And, did he mention? Uh, uh, did he mention working with us? He sure did. He said it was very strange. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. It was strange. Um, yeah, uh, but it was great to work with him and Julie Driscoll. Oh yes, uh, they were. Uh, it was a fabulous group to be working with. Uh, on that show, we also had Fats Domino, Little Richard, Jerry Lee Lewis. Um, to, to join in, um, Brian Auger kind of played a part. He played some music and and was a, 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 like a, a mastermind, evil genius wizard or something. <laughs> and they uh, they started off with this wonderful bit where uh, we were in on Brian Auger and he's playing a like a Wurlitzer, and we pull back and he's the Wurlitzer is sitting on top of a baby Graham, and little Richard is playing it, and we pull back further and he's standing on top of a seven foot Grand and. That's Domino is playing that. We pull back further. They're all sitting on top of a 12-foot concert grant, and there's Jerry Lee Lewis pounding on the bottom piano. This great big stack of piano players and, and piano uh, and pianos was tremendous visual. Wow, what uh, that is! That is one for the ages. I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, incredible. Uh, well, thank you. Let me hand you back to David G. I really appreciate uh, chatting with you. And uh, My pleasure. David G's got a bunch more, so here he is. Yeah, I'm sure he does. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's me, Mr. Bunches. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. Well, uh, Peter, actually, I wanted to ask you about uh, the project you've been involved with over the last several years and that you're still involved with, the yes, fantastic yes, yes. Shoe Suede Blues. That's right, my my, uh, my blues pop band. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally uh, tickled with them. Uh, being in that group is really uh, something for the ages. Uh, you... Um, Speaking of the, at least for me, uh, I, uh, you know, the the monkeys will always be the um, the largest, best known thing I've ever done, or to put it in other terms, I'll have the monkeys on my back for the rest of my life. Oh yeah. <laughs> but um, but, uh, uh, but shoe suede blues gives me great musical satisfaction every time we play. Um, I I know that from the point of view of an audience. Uh, most many audience members uh, are are most pleased with uh, uh, monkey music because it reminds them of their youth, and that's partly what an entertainer can do is to take people places where they want to be. But I have to say that we um, we do a few monkey songs with the with the Shoe Sway Blues Band too, and uh, we're getting I, just uh, almost incidentally we're getting wonderful uh, results with. Uh, with audiences uh, coming to hear our show. Many of them come to say, uh, say that they came to hear the monkey music and that they were delighted with what else they heard. And uh, we, get a lot of, uh, we get a lot of applause. It, it, band, people seem to like what we're doing, which is, of course, very gratifying. So, does that answer all your questions? Well, pretty much. I uh, can tell you I experienced that joy firsthand back on September 28th of 2002 up here in my neck of the woods at the Mystic Theater in Petaluma when you and the Shusway Blues hit town. Mm -hmm. and, and it was an awesome show. And uh, I'll never forget, you, got, you only did two Monkeys tunes that night. You did Daydream Believer and I'm a Believer. Wow. And during Daydream Believer, you were encouraging the audience to sing along, and they mm -hmm. were either too drunk or untalented or scared <laughs> or whatever. And um, I took it upon myself to do the Davy Jones part on the chorus, and I'll never forget you sitting behind your keyboard, shading your eyes from the spotlights, and you were searching the audience like, who the hell is that guy? <laughs> yeah. And it was awesome. So in a weird roundabout way, I can honestly say that I did perform live with Peter Tork and Juice Wade Blues. Well, uh, <laughs> and, tell you what, David, if we can get back into the Mystic Theater, you can have another chance. Maybe we'll even bring you up on stage. Uh, there's oh, a, right. There are a couple of kids. There's, there's one or two kids that, uh, that play uh, tambourine, and uh, actually, uh, we've actually actually had some of these kids come up on stage and join us banging a tambourine while we do the monkey songs. It's been a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I remember that show very well. I, uh, um, my ex-wife came to see, my darling, beloved ex-wife came to see us yeah. and, and, and our kids. Um, uh, and that was a, a, a true joy and a treat. And um, interestingly enough, we have nobody except me in common between the current lineup of the band and that lineup. Uh, I'm sad to say that our our, uh, our guitar players passed away. Um, we lost uh, the other two uh, core members uh, through attrition of one sort or another. And um, you know, the band started off as a as a group. It was never my band uh, and 
working out. It we really started off as a, a couple of guys. Uh, another guy said to me, "Let's you and me do a dance for uh, this upcoming benefit." My my wife will book us if I ask her, and we'll get that bass player. And he joined us, and the three of us were the core of the band for a good four or five years uh, before we and we had a few other people come through. But as far as I'm concerned, the band has always been a band and not just. Uh, um, more recently, the band has decided to call it Peter Tork and Shoe Sway Blues. Yeah. Uh, over my veto, incidentally, they they uh, they overrode my veto, um, and uh, um, I'm uh, um, I don't know how I feel about that, but I wasn't going to object. Finally, if that was what they thought would be the better way, but as far as I'm concerned, it's about the band. Um, yeah. I've always uh, it's always been a, uh, uh, a pretty much a cooperative thing. Uh, with some variations, and I do not, uh, I don't take a, the lion's share of the money, um, and uh, on the contrary, if anything, because I get so much out of it that I kind of cut the guys a little slack. I have a big house, they can stay here, and I don't charge the band for for their, for them to stay here, that kind of thing. So you're like the um, mother. Yeah, well, a little bit of that, but, um, you know, and, and I do have to ride herd on these guys a bit, but, but it, but it really is about what happens when the band is playing together and everybody's laughing on stage and everybody's joking on stage. It's not, you know, the, the kind of ship that I like to be, the kind of ship I run, as they say, only I'm not running this ship uh, entirely and people are, are, are goofing on me. They're giving me a hard time on stage, which mercifully, is uh, is very much to my liking because uh, uh, otherwise uh, you know I, I I need to need somebody to remind me not to get too full of myself because I I'll go start and thinking I'm a pop star you know if I'm not careful over here. Well, we can't have that. I mean, no, I, no, we can't have that. <laughs> no, can do that. There's yeah, all kinds that, of trouble lie that way. Yeah, for real. I mean, <laughs> you don't want to travel down that path. Well, you know <laughs> what it is. The thing really is, it's like you were talking about how some of these people did not get through this process alive. Mm. And uh, the and the reason is that they begin they they can't separate their human reality from their situation, yeah. and they start to think that they are pop stars in their in their core human being, and it's very confusing and very difficult. Uh, we were talking earlier. Elvis and uh, Michael Jackson uh, had people around them who didn't contradict them who did not yeah. tell them there was anything wrong with what they were doing, did not give them flack for any decisions they made. And the result was they had no, they lost their community. And, and without a community, uh, you're doomed. Uh, you really are. It's, it's really, it's, it's death to have no community, no real uh, push-pull community. And, and we see it. Those two poor folks, you know, uh, they, just, they just went down behind too much celebrity. Well, how true that is. I mean, I've been saying for many, many years, I thought Michael Jackson was pretty much screwed right out of the starting gate because, I mean, what kind of a sense of normalcy did he have? Pretty much none. And I don't think I actually, so, yeah. I felt more sorry for him than anything else, you know. It's like, I agree. Yeah. I mean, talk about living in your proverbial fishbowl, man. I mean, that's 
that's got to be awful. Um, yeah, yeah. But, uh, well, anyway, I'm glad you had a sense of normalcy. And you said you actually remembered that show at the Mystic Theater in Petaluma. Uh-huh. I, I doubt you'll remember this, but maybe you will. I don't know. Uh, after the show was over and you came up in at the lobby, I was the shaved-headed guy wearing the Marlon Brando motorcycle leather jacket that turned around and accidentally bumped into you <laughs> and ended up chatting with you for about 20 minutes. <laughs> um, I'm sorry to tell you that I remember the women almost entirely. <laughs> Bless your heart, sir. <laughs> that is the answer I was hoping for. Yeah, there, were, there you, were some women there. I can't believe some of the women were there. That, hey, that, welcome uh, to Northern California, baby. Yeah, really. That was and, really uh, wonderful. Boy, oh, boy. But uh, I still, to this day, hanging uh, up on my wall, I have the die-cast metal model of the Monkey Mobile, one sixteen scale. And right above that is this glorious color 8x10 glossy of shoe suede blues. All of you guys sitting on the rock formation with the trees behind you with your autograph on it. And, and wow. that hangs in my room to this day. Great. Thank you and, so much. Uh, Oh, no, sir. Yeah, don't thank me. Thank you. Uh, it, <laughs> it has been awesome. So uh, any chance uh, you and uh, the boys are going to be heading out our way here into Northern California anytime soon? There's always a chance. Is the Mystic Theater still running shows? I think we can Oh, you know it. Yeah, they are. All right. Big well, um, let's see what we can let's see what we can muster. I'd love to come around again. It's uh, they just had uh, Dick Dale, the king of surf guitar. He comes here all the time, and uh, yep. yeah, we would sure love to get you and the boys out here in Northern California. We miss you. And, uh, Thank you so much, my friend. Oh, well, we miss you and we need you. I mean, good music. Uh, this is Sonoma County. There are more musicians per square block in Sonoma County than anywhere else in the United States of America. It's been studied. It's a fact. You can look it up. Really? <laughs> and uh, we sure need you guys back out here. Uh, Peter, before I let you go, I one last thing I wanted to ask. Would you be willing to give me a station ID? Of course. Fantastic. Um, just, uh, our, uh, uh, you got a pen? Yep. Okay. Uh, you know, I don't need to tell you this part. Hi, this is Peter Tork. You feel free to ad lib anywhere you want, but you're listening to Rocket with David G. David G. David G. As in George. G. As in got a rock and roll, baby. <laughs> okay. Yep. On K O W S. S as in Sam. Yeah, cows with okay. a K. Moo uh-huh. baby. One o seven point three FM. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hi, this is Peter Tork, sometimes of the Monkeys and now of Shoe Suede Blues, and you're listening to Rocket with David G on K O W S one o seven point three. Beautiful. Thank you, Peter. Awesome. Thank you, David. Hey, uh, have a fantastic time out there with Mickey and the boys in Connecticut this weekend. Uh Um, Yeah, I just, I cannot thank you enough, sir, for taking time out of your busy schedule to join me here today on Rocket. Well, my pleasure, my friend. My pleasure indeed. Um, let's, uh, Let's do it again sometime soon. 
You betcha. Hey, I got your phone number. I, we can make this. <laughs> we go. I don't know. I got to go through Jerry Lynn first. But anyway, I would love to do this again sometime. Um, oh well, uh, is there a new Shoesway Blues album in the works by chance? Yeah, we're just starting to assemble material and to write and see what we can come up with. It'll be a little while coming forth, but it could happen anytime. Okay, well, I need an advanced copy so that I can play it on my show and promote the living heck out of it, okay? You got it, my friend. Thanks so much. Fantastic. Oh, no, no. Don't thank me. Thank you. Peter Tork, awesome. You have a wonderful weekend, and uh, and uh, my blessings and thoughts and prayers to you and your family and all of yours, and I just cannot thank you enough for it's being my on pleasure my show indeed. today. Believe me, I'm glad to do it. I'll talk to you again soon. Oh, you know it, sir. You take care, and I will talk to you soon. There he goes, ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Mr. Peter Tork, right here. Hey, the crowd goes wild. That's right, baby. You know it. Awesome. (laughs) Oh, and recording off.